Hear then the word of our God, Titus 1, beginning in verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. <clears throat> well, as we've seen here, of course, Paul is giving some instructions to Titus. And in this particular section, he is instructing Titus in regard to the false teaching and false teachers there in Crete. Um, Titus then, in turn, must instruct the elders for um, they are the ones who are going to be left behind, as it were, when Titus leaves. And so they must be aware of the false teaching. They must speak against them. They must speak and teach what is true. Now, Paul began, and you might say, with the attitudes there in verses 10 and following. These false teachers are rebellious. They are opposing the truth. They are deceptive. Uh, but we also see the things that they're doing. Obviously, these go together. It says about undermining families. They're seeking after money. And here in verse 10, he's talking about the circumcision. And this probably means that uh, these are the Judaizers, those who uh, accepted Jesus as their Messiah, but said all Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be a full Christian, a true Christian. But, of course, in Acts 15 and other places, we see that this is not the case. All we need is faith in Christ. <clears throat> so Paul says here, then, uh, to Titus that, that these false teachers need to be silenced. Well, then Paul uh, turns from the Jews here to the Cretans, and he is warning about the Cretan culture, saying that they are liars and beast-like, they are evil, they are lazy, and they seek to satisfy their appetites. Well, this is certainly not unique. Uh, this is something that we see uh, here in our own culture today. We have wolves that are attacking the church. Uh, we have people who, as it were, dress up as sheep and seek to subvert the truth with their rather convincing ideas. And of course, as we talked about in the fall especially, we see this with the critical theories. Uh, this is maybe... The biggest way this is happening in our churches today uh, here in America. Uh, but we also live in a very similar culture as Crete. We have liars all around us. And uh, uh, something that caught my eye this week, maybe you heard about this, Project Veritas did another undercover thing, and this was with Pfizer. And it's no surprise, uh, if you've been paying attention, uh, this isn't anything new, really that uh, Pfizer's been um, fudging the, f the numbers and you know, COVID was deliberately released and it was in part to make lots of money. Um, you know. So 
We hear liars all over the place. Maybe somebody lied to you this week at work or something like that. Uh, Certainly we have beasts, government beasts, media beasts, big business beasts. I was reading about the egg market here this week and and how a lot of that seems to be collusion, not just uh, avion issues. Uh, We have eugenicists. I don't know, did anybody hear if the riots in Memphis actually happened? I heard it might, but I, I haven't heard any more of that. But we got beasts everywhere. Um, and certainly we have lazy gluttons. So the leaders in Crete here in the church, our leaders today in the church, in our families, we must know what is true, we must see what is false, and speak and oppose and so forth. As Paul says, sound doctrine and sound living go hand in hand. Well, Paul now (coughs) returns to the Jews here in verses uh, 14 and following, especially here in verse 14 for sure. And uh, he is uh, not an anti-Semite. You might wonder from my sermon title, Opposing Jews, that, you know, I've just joined in with the alt-right, as we would hear. Actually, the alt-left and the globalists are more anti-Semitic than the alt-right, but anyway. Uh, But Paul's not that way. Um, He's against Jews because they are unbiblical. So verse 14 then, notice this is part of a sentence which began in verse 13, and it says, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. All right, well, Paul begins this verse by connecting with what he has said. And basically he's saying, while you're reproving these Cretans, Titus, the leaders of the church, and so so forth, uh, instruct the people not to pay attention to Jewish myths. Not only try to be different from the Cretan culture. Again, you've got Cretans who became believers, and they're maybe to some degree still living like Cretans. You, You can't do that. Well, at the same time, you need to pay attention to these Jewish myths. And so, again, doctrine and living go together, and now here this false doctrine that come from the Jews. All right, now some Jews then were adding to God's word here in this way, and Titus must warn these uh, uh, Cretans, these former beasts, you might say, these former liars, not to believe everything the Jews say. Paul was a Jew. He was circumcised on the eighth day, right, the tribe of Benjamin, and Pharisee and all these things, but he brought the truth. He was preaching the truth, proclaiming the truth, but not all Jews do, as we see back in verse 10 and now here in this way. Once again, the Judaizers are likely the point in verse 10, but this one is likely more broadly the Jewish position. Notice the difference the way he calls them, the terms that he uses. He calls them the circumcision in verse 10 which again would suggest Judaizers, here he just calls them Jews. And so I think it's uh, more general in this case, and I'm certainly not alone. All right, so what's the problem? What's going on here? Well, the New King James translates it as Jewish fables. Uh, If you turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul had told the same thing, to Titus, or to Titus here, and then as well to Timothy. So in 1 Timothy 1, 
Notice especially verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now there he does not call them Jewish fables, but it is the same word. And the fact that he mentions genealogies uh, is a huge clue that he's talking about the same group of people, the same false teachings. Now this word here, uh, translated as fable in the New King James, is from the Greek word muthos, and we get the word myth from it. It just comes right into English. We pronounce it as myth. And and uh, there's a difference there. A fable is more of a uh, moral story, and typically you use animals, think of Aesop's fables and so forth, right? Um, <clears throat> that's not what Paul's addressing here. We're not talking about fables in the specific sense of what that means. We're talking about myths, legends, okay? things that aren't necessarily true. Um, so in 1 Timothy, he doesn't call it Jewish myths. In Titus, he does. In, in Titus, he doesn't say about genealogies, but in Timothy, he does. But again, they're likely the same thing. So what does all this mean? Well, in Israel, especially from the time between Malachi and Christ, you could go back to the exile while they're in Babylon. You can go even uh, into the second century AD, uh, but especially that window between Malachi and Christ, and some will say, um, even more specifically from about 200 BC to 100 AD. But in that time frame, there was all kinds of uh, Jewish, can you say, extrapolation and, and speculation. Uh, one of the terms that is used in this context is midrash. And midrash isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it certainly can be. What they would do is they would take the stories of the Old Testament and they would expand on them. And, and in some ways, that's, that's fine. Um, but their tendency was to go much too far. They would expand on the plain meaning. It became allegorical at times. It became apocryphal at times. Uh, but it was filled with speculation and uncertainty and so forth. Uh, we can see some of the things in the Talmud, but those tend to focus more on the commandments. Uh, so these are things... Again, typically we would call them midrash or apocryphal stories. And so they would speculate on the lives of the early uh, people in the scriptures, especially those before Abraham, but certainly not limited to that. So let's turn a moment to Genesis chapter 5. This is one of those passages where it is so tempting to speculate. In Genesis 5, of course, here we have the genealogy of Adam, and we see very brief descriptions about these different men. And primarily it says how old they are when they had the child that's in the promised line, and then how old they died, when they died, and so forth. But, you know, verse 12, we have Canaan, verse 15, Mahalalel, and then Jared, and so forth. And you're like, okay, well, who were these men? And we're curious. We want to know more about what their lives were like and so on and so forth. Look especially at verse 21. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Now that is the same really as all the other ones. But then it ends and says, And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Well, obviously, 
we have some information here, but we don't have very much information. What does it mean that God took him? And how did he walk with God in a way that was different from these other men? Um, and so people started guessing. Now, it may very well be that some traditions, oral traditions, passed down through Noah and on uh, to Israel. And it may very well be some very truthful things did happen and were preserved and passed along. But all kinds of guesses and speculation were added to these things. And those guesses became legend, and then they turned into fact. And once that happens, then you get into some very bad places. It affects your theology, it affects your history, and so forth. They expanded, of course, on what Noah did. They expanded on the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even though we have a whole bunch of information about those three men. So in our own country, we've done the same things. Uh, if you think of a, uh, a more ancient figure in our country, think of George Washington. You think of the story of the hatchet and the tree and his father, and he cannot tell a lie and so forth. And, and as I understand it, uh, that particular event did not happen. In real life, it was characteristic of the type of man he was. He's a very honest man. Everything shows that. But this particular event, as I understand it, didn't actually happen. Well, if you take those kinds of things and run with it, now you're believing in something that is not true. And if you keep going down that path and building on those things, eventually you end up in all kinds of crazy things, right? But it isn't just people from way back when, it's happening right in front of us. The demonization of the right, Trump especially, the deification of the left and socialism and Obama and so forth. We have people speculating, guessing, and not looking at what actually happened. And so rather than learning true history, we have a historical fiction that is created right in front of us. The media does a great job of making it very convincing and compelling. And then you add all the uh, pressure to believe it and so forth. Uh, and they treat it as truth. Another older example would be the 1619 Project. There's some truth to what they're saying. There are things that happened in Jamestown that were not good. But they've expanded on that. They've speculated. They have added. They've, it's become a historical fiction. Another more recent one, the events in Charlottesville a few years ago. People died and Trump was accused of being a racist and so forth. Okay? That whole narrative is a historical fiction. you got to go and see what actually happened. The problem is we can't go back and see what actually happened with Enoch. Okay? Or uh, certain things with Noah and so on and so forth. And so uh, we raise many questions about what actually happened, and, and the questions are fine. But we need to be careful that uh, we don't take elements of truth and mix it with speculation and lies and end up in bad places. We must go to the facts and stick with the facts to learn the truth. And so the Jews were doing this, and Paul says, no, don't listen to them. You cannot do this. Focus on what the scripture says. 
Yes, we want to know a whole lot more about Enoch, but focus on these few verses. Okay? That's our authority. Not the apocryphal works. Okay? Not what CNN says. Okay? What does the scripture say? What are the facts? Now, the apocryphal works, there are actually a whole bunch of them. For example, there's one called the life of Adam and Eve. So there's all kinds of extra things about uh, their lives that go far beyond Genesis 2 to 4. Um, there's another one uh, called First Enoch, and then there's Second Enoch, and then there's Third Enoch. Okay, lots of speculation about him. Uh, you have the Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. You have the Testament of Abraham, the Assumption of Moses that focuses on when he died there on the mountain and, and so forth, and there are many others. Now, these were very well known in the first century. So when Paul says about Jewish myths, this is exactly what he's talking about. Okay? And they were used very extensively by some Jews. Not all of them, but some of them. Pharisees, maybe more than others. Now, <clears throat> speculation in some ways uh, can be a good thing. It isn't necessarily wrong. Think, for example, about Adam and Eve. text doesn't say that they had any daughters. But obviously they had to have girls, right? I mean, how, how is Cain going to get married? Okay, how, how are any of these men going to get married and have children and so forth? So obviously we speculate and say, well, you know, they had some girls too, and they married one another and so on and so forth. Okay, Um we can maybe speculate some about what happened with Noah and the flood. If you've been to the ark over in Kentucky, there's a whole bunch of speculation that is going on there. But it's based on scripture, it's based on science, it's based on reason and logic, and there probably was some kind of uh, system there to bring in fresh air and to get rid of the waste and so forth. And, and certainly, they came in by their kinds, not every individual species. The scripture says that. Uh, we can speculate on what exactly that means and so forth. Maybe they got people outside of the family to help them build the ark. I mean, we can speculate to some degree. The problem is when those speculations become our authority. And that's what Paul is speaking against. We must stick to what Scripture says. So this is why um, <clears throat> a month ago when I preached the Christmas sermon on Luke 2, I probably spent about a third of the sermon talking about speculation. We have all kinds of things added to the Christmas story that aren't in the text. And we can speculate to some degree, but we need to be careful. Okay? If we do not hold on to what the Scripture says, if we add and we take away, we get in trouble. And so the Jews were doing this, and Paul says, hey, don't follow them. Don't follow it. Now, let me add a, a monkey wrench here a little bit. Let's turn to the book of Jude. <clears throat> now, you recall we read from this um, a week or two ago. I forget now which. And um, let's look at two of these uh, sections. In Jude, um, obviously chapter 1, verse 8, it says, 
Likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Jude's referring to the assumption of Moses, the apocryphal work that Paul says we shouldn't listen to. How do we understand this? Let's look then at verse 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. All right, well, the first part of verse 14 fits with Genesis 5. But the rest of it comes from First Enoch. So how do we handle this? You have Paul saying, basically, reject it all. And here you have Jude saying uh, these two things from apocryphal works. Well, uh, good question. Very good question. I think the answer is this. Jude is not telling us that we can accept all the apocryphal literature. That's what the Catholic Church has done. They've said Jude says we can accept any of these. Um, nor do I think that Jude is telling us to accept the whole of the Assumption of Moses and the whole of First Enoch. Others have taken that view. I think all Jude is saying is that on these two particular points, there was truth. Amidst all the speculation amidst of all the things that were added, these legendary things, these two things were true. Remember what I said before, usually what happens in speculation and myth is there are elements of truth in it. I mean, this is why people are so deceived in our country. The media gives you some truth. They just mix in all kinds of other lies. And that's what makes it so convincing. And so there is some truth in the assumption of Moses and the first Enoch and some of these other things. And Jude is saying, this was the truth that is found. This is what we can hold on to. This is what happened when, when uh, Moses died. This is something that Enoch did say. But beyond that, hey, we can't say anymore. We must treat these other works as historical works, not as scripture. Okay. So, <clears throat> as we come back to Titus... Um, this is what Paul's talking about. Not giving heed to Jewish myths. Okay. And so Titus must not. He must instruct the people not to do this. And we certainly must learn from it. Okay. <clears throat> I read the book of Tobit, I don't know, a few weeks ago. It's fine to read it, but it's not scripture. Do not give heed to it. Do not pay attention to it to the extent of, you know, having it impact your life or something to that effect. All right. Now, there is another aspect to all of this. Okay. <clears throat> the Jews also greatly expanded with numerology and secret codes. Now, I have said 
numerous times over the years <clears throat> that in the scripture we see that the numbers 3 and 7 and 10 and 40 and 12 and 10,000 and so forth, these numbers are expressing ideas of completion. The number six refers to man. The number four refers to the earth. And you can have various combinations uh, of those. But those passages are usually pretty clear in the scripture that that's the point. Okay, so in Revelation 13, where the number of the beast is 666. The point there is man, man, man. The point is not, let's try to come up with a numerical sum of 666 or 606, as some will debate. That's not the point. The point is, this is about man. You have the the beast worshiping Satan and and so forth, the mark of the beast. This is the mark of a man in the end. And yeah, we can make some connections with Nero and so forth, but it really doesn't matter what his name adds up to because that's not the point. The point is, it's not perfection. It's imperfection. Let's turn a moment to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, let's uh, look at verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. This is one of those times where the Bible gives us the key to the code, so to speak. David's name, you take the two D's and the V, those three consonants add up to 14. And obviously Matthew is highlighting that point. Jesus is the son of David. We know that there are, uh, the 14 generation idea isn't exact in every one of these. There are other generations that Matthew leaves out. But he's trying to highlight Jesus as the son of David. So we have a, a key to the code here given to us. But see, what was happening in Israel is that they were taking this idea and going to the nth degree with it. They would take names of Old Testament saints. They would take various passages. And they would say, hey, there's a code in there. You know, we got the name Abraham. And then there, there's a code in that name. And they would add it up and all that. Oh, there's a secret message that we're going to find, you know. Well, people are doing that today, aren't they? You've probably heard of this. Right? The Bible code. There's the movie out, the books, and so forth, right? These Bible code enthusiasts. Well... Even if there are codes in the Bible, it really doesn't matter. Because the plain meaning of the text is what we need to know. If God wanted us to know what the codes are, he would have told us. We don't need some, you know, prophet of the 20th century to go on TV and say, Hey, I discovered something that nobody ever else did. (laughs) It's the plain meaning. That's all we need to know. There may be codes there, but in one sense, who cares? When we get to heaven, we'll learn what they are. What matters is, what does the text say? All we have, uh, all we need is the teaching in regard to salvation and Christian living. God revealed that to us. We don't need any special code, any special decoder, or anything like that to understand it. 
Again, if he wanted us to know it, he would give us the key for it. And he did in Matthew 1. Okay, so, um, this is another aspect of these Jewish myths. It's part of this idea of taking the text and not focusing on the text, but adding to it, trying to find secrets or trying to, to expand on what's actually there. And Paul is saying, do not speculate. It leads to error. There may be some times where your speculation leads you to truth. You've got to be extremely careful. Focus on what the text says. And then ignore those who speculate about these things. Because in the end, it really doesn't matter. Now, if we add in also the things that uh, Paul mentions there in 1 Timothy 1, verse 4, where he specifically says genealogies. He does not say that here in Titus, but again, I, I think we're talking about the same things, and maybe he doesn't say it to Titus because of what isn't as big of an issue there in Crete, and he said it to Timothy because it was a bigger issue in Ephesus. We don't know, but again, it's, it's still part of this same approach. And so in Judaism, there were people who would focus on family trees. The Book of Jubilees, for example, is a prime example of of how they were doing some of these things. You know, again, in one sense, there's truth there. You had to know who was the descendant of David to see if that was the Messiah. You had to know that genealogy. We have the genealogies. We just looked at Genesis 5. You had to know if you were a descendant of Aaron if you're going to be a legitimate priest. And so genealogies are important. And we must know if we're part of the right family tree. But see, what was happening is people then were going even farther with it. They were taking it to uh, uh, ends that were not really necessary. So, for example, um, and here I'm just giving a speculative example. But if you had someone in Israel who said, well, you know, I'm descended from, you know, whatever, the tri- uh, from Judah, and I've been part of this clan and so forth, and so um, I, I should be considered for this important position. And that person over there, well, they're descended from Simeon. And, you know, I mean, they just got absorbed into Judah. So they're not really all that significant. I, you know, you should vote for me or whatever. It's that kind of idea that uh, was part of what's going on. And, they, and some people, you know, as, as it says there, Endless genealogy, spending all this time looking on this descent and that descent, and who's therefore more important than somebody else, and yada, yada, yada. Now, we do have some similar things uh, that happen today. We have some people who say, well, you know, we're part of this family, so we should be a leader in the church. And you're not part of an important family, so, you know, you just be a regular member. These things do happen. It's a similar idea. But though Paul doesn't come right out and say it here, we certainly can apply his words in Romans 4. What matters is not that I have been descended from the Flemings that we know go back to the time of John Knox. We've traced it that far back. We've traced the Larson family back many years with many missionaries and many pastors and so forth over the years. We've done that in our family, different people in our family, and so forth. But in one sense, that doesn't make any difference. What matters is 
that I am a son of Abraham by faith. That is my family tree. My family tree is what we see here in the scriptures. Not physically, but spiritually. And so if you have Judaizers coming and say you have to become a Jew in order to become a real Christian, Paul's like, why? If you're a son or daughter of Abraham by faith, that's what's most important. And so it's not just an issue of adding something to the gospel, but it's this issue of status too. And who is important? And we're all equally important. If you trust in Christ, we're all sons and daughters of Abraham. It doesn't matter what our ancestral line is. And so Paul is saying, don't get all wrapped up in these things. Focus on the scriptures. Focus on what it says. Focus on the the gospel. Focus on who we are in Christ. This is what's most important. And so this is something that we all need to heed. But again, this is especially something that we in leadership need to pay attention to so that we can keep the flock from getting sucked into the the various Bible code crazes and and speculations and so on and so forth, right? So obviously I have expanded um, uh, to to explain what Paul is saying here, but I, I haven't been speculating, at least not in the way he's talking about. And so again, he says then, not giving heed to Jewish, again, myths, I think is better, This is what he's telling us to do. Now, notice then the rest of the verse. And, note the assumption here, not giving heed to commandments of men who turn from the truth. Now, I'm just going to kind of introduce this idea here tonight, and we'll expand on it in verses 15 and 16. But the basic idea is this. Do not pay attention to those who add commands to God's commands. Eve did this right from the beginning, right? God gave his word to Adam. Eve wasn't made yet. Adam was supposed to teach this to Eve. And then when the serpent comes, we see that Adam and Eve both failed in their job. And Eve adds to God's law by saying, we are told not to touch the tree. God never said that. She added to God's word. She also took away from God's word, but that's not Paul's point here. The religious leaders did this. Think of Matthew 23. When Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for adding burdens and commands on the people, and they were commanded to uh, give more than the tithe, they were commanded to, um, uh, to only walk so far on the Sabbath, or they can't help the needy on the Sabbath, and they can't pick you know, heads of grain and all this sort of thing. Um, in terms of oaths, remember the words of Jesus where people were saying, well, if, you, if you make a vow this way, it's binding, and if you do it that way, it's not, and He's like, you're adding to God's word, issues of Corbin and so on and so forth. Now, here in this uh, particular context, if you turn to 1 Timothy again a moment, this time to chapter 4, this seems to be the emphasis. Again, this is Ephesus, not Crete, but it does seem to be similar ideas. They weren't that far apart. Uh, In verse 4 of, uh, sorry, verse 3 of chapter 4, 
He says, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving and so forth. So it's the issue here of marriage. It's the issue here of food in Ephesus. And it was something similar, if not exactly the same, in Crete. Now, I've often used the the terminology here about 11th commandments. God has given us the Ten Commandments, and our tendency is to add more. And this is what Paul is saying that we must be aware of. And don't uh, pay attention or take heed. So today, we have all kinds of 11th commandments. We could be here for hours, but let me just give you a few examples. You know, probably top of the list are those who say that you can't have any alcohol or you can't dance at all, or you can't wear a dress that shows your ankles, or you must participate in whatever, however many church activities every week to be a real committed Christian, Uh, or you must be immersed, or you must speak in tongues, or you must follow the book of church order. Now, Let me say, the book of church order, there are many things in it that are based clearly on scripture. But there are other things that aren't clearly based on a scriptural passage. And so we must be careful that we are not adding to God's law there. Obviously, you have others who say we should only sing psalms. There are those who say you shouldn't have any debt. People say you can't eat meat. Uh, Others say we must uphold the critical theories and and uh, love the stranger and the diversity, equity, and inclusion and such. And others will say, well, you know, true believers vote Republican. We've all probably heard every one of these examples, or at least heard of them, and I could give many, many more. The point here is adding to God's law. Isn't that what the Jewish myths are doing? Adding to the scriptures, the genealogies, these codes and numerology, right, where they're adding to the scriptures, and now he's talking about adding commands to God's commands. And so don't do it. Don't heed them. Don't pay attention to people who do this. All right, this issue of, of uh, legalism and asceticism and external focus is what Paul is emphasizing. But we live in a culture that is in some ways the opposite. We still add to God's law, but maybe we uh, take away more. And we have antinomianism, we have licentiousness, and so forth. There are way too many people who say we don't need to keep certain commands anymore. Okay, we, we live on this side of the cross, so we can ignore the Old Testament or something like that. Uh, we don't need to keep the Sabbath. All kinds of Christians that go out on the Sabbath, on the Lord's Day, and cause other people to work. Uh, there are all kinds of reasons why we don't need to submit to authority. Or it's okay to, to murder babies. Or it's okay to be controlled by drugs, even the ones that come from Starbucks. Uh, it's okay to be side A or side B, or you know whatever it is. Our, where we live today, we have 11th commandments all around us, but we have more situations of less than 10, if you will. <laughs> But again, you see Paul's theme here. For those who add to the scriptures, don't pay attention to it. Focus on the truth. Know it. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Believe what is there. Obey what is there. Don't speculate. At least not 
in an unhealthy way and just that's all we need we call this the sufficiency of scripture we don't need anything else this is all we need and so learn it and obey it and so elders right let's lead in this way okay? parents let's lead in this way with our children let's govern ourselves in this way because you know some of those numerology things are really kind of cool Looking for codes, you know, especially those of you who like mystery novels or something. I mean, it can be kind of compelling. But again, that, that really doesn't matter in the end. So I'm going to leave us there at this point, and it ties together his thought, but he's going to expand on the commandments thought here in the next couple of verses. So we'll look at that, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father and God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it is sufficient. We are thankful, Lord, that there is uh, nothing that needs to be added, that the things that you have for us is all we need to know. We may want more. (laughs) Uh, Many times we do, but uh, this is all we need to know, and someday we'll know really what it was like when Adam and Eve lived or when Enoch lived or whatever it is. Um, We are thankful, Lord, that that you know what we need and... um, so help us to live by faith in this way. Help us to, uh, to be in your word and, and seek to understand it and seek to live by it. Um, help us, Lord, to, uh, to love your word more than, uh, than anything else. And, uh, and so, Lord, we uh, just ask for your mercies in this way, especially as we live in a culture that, that hates truth, that uh, constantly wants to, to add to the truth. And uh, help us then to to be faithful in these ways. We pray this then in Jesus' name. Amen.